Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would give faith to those who do not have it, and that you would strengthen the faith of those who are weak. And we pray all for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Our text starts with this. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, which tells us that we need to look back and see what Jesus has said up to this point. So in Matthew 24, Jesus is answering two questions raised by his disciples. The two questions asked right after Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple are these. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The disciples want to know when the temple will be destroyed. But that's not all. It's a devastating reality that the temple will be destroyed, but the disciples are focused on what will come next. They're actually eager for what will come next. They want to know when Jesus is going to come back and when the end of the age will be. Now, what does Jesus' coming back and the end of the age have to do with each other? And why are the disciples so keen on knowing when it will be? Well, let's look at Jesus' answer. In verses 4 through 28, Jesus does not give a direct day and time on when he is coming back. But he explains just how bad things will get before his return. There'll be wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, false prophets leading people astray, Christians being killed unjustly, a person called the abomination of desolation who will introduce tribulation greater than anything before. And then after this tribulation, verse 29, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Perhaps you remember this language that Jesus is using. The disciples have read about this in a few different passages of their Old Testament. One particular instance is in Joel chapter 2. There the prophet says, The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? a good question. Who can endure the day of the Lord? This is the judgment of God upon sinners. Who can endure the day when God splits the skies and the established laws of nature are rent asunder? That's much more troubling than an earthly temple being destroyed. Is this the day the disciples are looking forward to? Why on earth would you want that? Not only will the things in this world be destroyed, look what happens next, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why is Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man here? He takes his title from Daniel 7. And there it says this, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now in Daniel, the Son of Man is not descending to earth, but he's ascending to God. But when he ascends, he receives power and an eternal kingdom. And so, the sun, moon, stars, and entire creation will be moved aside by the return of the Son of Man. He will come to establish his eternal kingdom on earth. Now Luke says that people will faint with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Not just because of what's happening in creation, but because the Son of Man will bring his kingdom. It's not good news for them. However, the disciples are expecting this day. That's why they ask Jesus when it will be. They, they want to know. They're eager for it. But if, if the disciples are looking forward to Jesus coming back, and it's a day like that, why will some people mourn when he returns? Notice there are two types of people in our text. When the Son of Man appears, the tribes of earth will mourn, but, verse 31, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Scripture uses this phrase, the four winds, to refer to the entire world, the four corners of the earth, it might be said, every place on earth, every tribe and nation. And Jesus will call his elect from all those places. Who are these elect? In Scripture, the elect always refers to God's chosen people, those whom he has called to himself. But how can this be? If the day of the Lord is God's judgment on sinners, how are some sinners gathered to be with God while others mourn his judgment? Remember Joel's prophecy? We just looked at it. Joel 2, verse 2, says that that day is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And that rings true for the world when Jesus appears, because he comes with wrath. But perhaps you also remember what Peter taught about Joel's prophecy in Acts chapter 2. Peter tells us that the day of the Lord comes in two parts. And the first part has already happened. When Jesus died on the cross, the sun did not give forth its light, and there was great darkness on the land. In case anyone misses the significance of that fact, Paul is explicit in Galatians that when Jesus was on the cross, he was accursed by God. The day of the Lord came upon Jesus when he suffered on the cross. Christ took upon himself the wrath of God because of sin. This was so that if you call upon his name today, 
and put your confidence and hope in Jesus, you'll be forgiven. God's wrath on you is then satisfied in Christ. The elect are those to whom God gives faith in Jesus Christ. There is no further judgment for you who believe in Christ. For you, the day of the Lord has already come. Jesus experienced it for you. So, when Jesus returns, those tribes and people who do not trust in Christ, who reject the gospel, will mourn bitterly. Jesus came once offering forgiveness, but this second time he comes to judge their sin. But for you who believe in Jesus now, wherever you are, whatever trial is going on in your life, whatever tribulation comes your way, despite the difficulties, despite any depression, despite any besetting sins, the day is coming when your Savior will put an end to it all and will gather you to himself where you will be with him forever. No more wars, no more famines, no more earthquakes, no more persecution, suffering, anxiety, temptation, sin. All gone. When will this day be? Jesus continues in verses 32 through 33. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. You know when the seasons are changing, there are signs. You knew this year that fall was coming because the leaves began to change. And as those leaves fell to the ground, you understood that winter is around the corner. What signs tell you that Jesus is near? Well, look back up at verse 29. It is after the tribulation of those days that then Jesus will return. What tribulations do you face? In America, we have a pretty good compared to other nations where Christians are targeted and killed on a regular basis. But that's not all Jesus says tribulation is. It's not all just dying physically for the faith. For instance, verses 9 through 11 of chapter 24, Jesus says that you will be hated for his name's sake, that professing Christians will fall away, and that false prophets will lead many astray. I see all three of these signs when I'm just on social media. I have friends who once professed belief in Christ, but they now walk in rebellion against him. I know people who started reading and listening to teachers who preach a false gospel, and now they deny the tenets of the faith, like the need for Christ to die for their sin. Do you know anyone like this? Do you yourself at times feel the tug to go along with the popular idea, even if it's against God's word? Do you ever feel burdened by friends or, or family who reject Christ and think that you are hateful for your beliefs? Perhaps you had Thanksgiving meal with a few of them. These are all signs. Just They're signs that Jesus is about to come and make things right. And you may think that these things have been going on my entire 
life and they're only getting worse. And it seems like more and more people I know, friends and even family, are, are turning from Christ and the anger of many people toward Christians, it, it does, it burns hotter and hotter. But listen to what Jesus says. Verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What does Jesus mean here by this generation? Well, the word for generation can be used in a few different ways in Scripture. It refers to people living in a particular era. That's one way. It can refer to a family or someone's genealogy. It can also refer to a particular type of people. Jesus uses the word in this way in Luke 16 when he says, The sons of this world, unbelievers, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What generation will not pass away, though there will be persecution, tribulation, and people departing the faith? You who believe in Jesus, you will not pass away. People may hate you, malign you, cancel you. They cannot destroy you or the rest of God's people. Why not? Verse 35 Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What does Jesus' words have to do with anything? It is by the word of God that the heavens and earth were created. It is by God's word that the church was created. And it is by God's word that the heavens and earth pass away, but that you who believe will not pass away. Now, that doesn't mean you'll not die in this life, unless, of course, Jesus does come back while you're still alive, which is possible. But your generation, the generation of those who have faith in Christ, will always be here. Even when the sun and moon darken and the stars hurtle toward earth, God's word will sustain you. How exactly does God's word sustain you and this generation? It's the word of God that produces faith in you. It is the word of God that also strengthens and encourages you in your faith. All stories of people departing the faith can really be traced back to a gradual drifting away from belief in the authority of God's word. That's why false prophets and teachers are so dangerous. They do not feed people with what gives and strengthens faith, but they feed people their own ideas, and that will destroy them. This is also why we must always continue to read, preach, and teach God's word in the church. There are some who would have the church put all that stuff to the back and introduce new tactics for ministry. But it is the word of God that creates and strengthens God's people. It is the word of God that will remain in the end. And so it is to the word of God that we cling alone. God has spoken. No tribulation in this world will completely destroy the church. She will be here until Christ's return. 
And yet, wouldn't it still be nice to know when Christ is coming back? When is the light at the end of the tunnel? Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. How in the world does Jesus not know when he is returning? Isn't he God? Doesn't he know all things? Jesus is God. For remember, he is God and man. God the Son took on our nature in order to redeem our nature. Jesus perfectly obeyed God for us because we rebelled against God. And a major part of obeying God is trusting him, even when you don't know everything that's going to happen. Jesus chose to take this limitation upon himself, to not know exactly when his return will be. He puts his trust in the Father. As a human being, Jesus does not know when he will return, but being with the Father, now Jesus does know the day and hour. But then why doesn't Jesus fill us in now? Why not tell us when he's coming back to get us? Has someone ever promised you something amazing? Anything. It could be anything. It could be a promotion, a huge promotion, a, a new car, a vacation, you name it, just whatever comes to mind. Has anyone ever promised that to you? And if so, what is the, one of the first questions that come to your mind whenever someone tells you that something very good is about to happen to you? When? When is it going to come? When is it going to happen? And as you wait for it to happen... How easy is it to let whatever you're expecting to be the only thing you think about? You can't think of anything else. The disciples, they try to get the date out of Jesus again. Uh, later, after Jesus raised from the grave, in the first chapter of Acts, they ask the risen Christ if at that time he would restore the kingdom of God to Israel. But now... Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, I told you, even I don't know that. No, this time, he's more clear as to why he'll not tell the disciples a day and hour. He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, I know I don't have to tell any of you this, but I will anyway. If anyone says, it has been revealed to me, Jesus will come back on such and such a date. Christmas 2022. Get ready. Don't listen to them. Christ has spoken. It is not your place to know the date of Jesus' return. And yet, I can sort of sympathize with people who like to guess at the date of his coming. It's something to look forward to. Angel and I recently had a conversation about this idea of looking forward to something in our lives. Just having something to look forward to, it, just, it changes your, your present. 
We worked hard in the summer and we were looking forward to vacation. And then we get back and we love that we can look forward to Christmas. There's always something. There's something that we're looking forward to. If someone promised to give you a fortune one day, but they didn't tell you when you were going to get it, but that you would receive it soon. On first hearing this, your mind would probably be preoccupied with the fortune that is coming. But if years and years go by without you receiving it, what happens? Your, your hope is to fade a little bit. This life is hard, and Jesus feels so far away. However, he's not. He's not far off. He said so himself. He's at the very gates. Look at verse 37. There's already been an event in history much like the day of the Lord to come. It happened all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. There, because of the wickedness of the world, God sent a flood to destroy the earth. Jesus says in verse 37, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, how? How will his coming be like the days of Noah? Verse 38, For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Peter tells us that Noah preached to the people around him, no doubt calling them to enter into the ark. But the people scoffed at him. They thought he was a madman. Why would they do that? What's a flood? I don't know what a flood is. I've never seen it before. And life just continued on as normal. Years went on. The sun continued to shine. People continued to work, to eat, to have parties, to get married, to have families. What is this about a flood, an impending flood? Then, one day, God told Noah to enter the ark, and the flood came. And those who did not listen to Noah were swept away while doing whatever it is they always did. Jesus says that the people in Noah's day were unaware of the flood to come. They were not ignorant of the idea of a flood. Noah certainly preached to them about it. But because they did not believe Noah, the judgment of God caught them at a time that they didn't expect. They were not ready for it. It will be the same on the day of Jesus' second coming. Verse 40, Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Just like in the days of Noah, there will be people doing normal everyday things. You and your coworkers will be working on a project. You and your neighbors will be working in your yards. Families will be preparing dinners. Friends will be out for coffee. Husband and wife will be sleeping. Life will go on, even in the midst of tribulation. And then, all of a sudden, Christ will be here. What does this mean for the unbeliever today? Well, as Psalm 95 says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
If you do not trust in Christ, now is the time. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised a few hours from now. Do not be caught unaware by the coming of Christ. But what does this mean for you, the believer? Christ is almost here. You don't know a day or time, but he may come back at any moment. He's not far off. He's at the door. So, as Jesus says, stay awake. What exactly does that mean? To stay awake for Jesus' return? Jesus gives a a short parable in verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. If someone were to call you today and say, listen, at 3.35 a.m., be ready. I'm going to attempt to break into your home. See you then. What would you do? I mean, even if you thought that it could be a prank, would you go to bed? You would stay up. But you would not have to stay up all night. If you know when the intruder is coming and you're sure of it, You just need to be ready for that moment in time. At 9.30, you may sit down to eat a snack. You may set an alarm and take a quick nap because you want to be rested. But what if you don't know when he's coming? Well, then there's no relaxing, is there? You will be up and vigilant all night, ready for the intruder to come anytime. Now, you may get tired while doing this, but something tells me you'd stay awake because you want to keep your family and your house protected. Jesus says in verse 44, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. One day, Jesus is going to break in, and those who do not trust in him will be caught asleep. They will be unaware and will mourn. But for you who trust in Christ, you're awake right now. Your faith is in Jesus. And when he comes back, all the toil of this life will fade and you'll go be with him. Can't wait for him to come. And he could come today. He could tomorrow. He could a thousand years from now. Not knowing only leaves you with one option. Be ready for when he does. Again, what does that mean? What does it mean to be ready for Christ to come back? And Jesus answers this question in the verses that follow. And we don't have time to dive into those verses in depth. But there, Jesus says, uh, there are two, two types of people, two types of servants. The faithful servant who continues to do whatever his master told him to do while he's away. And then the wicked servant who thinks to himself, my master's not going to come back at all. And he then does whatever he wants. Our master is away, but not forever. Well, what do you do until he comes back? Well, what did people do before Jesus' first coming? When it came to Jesus' first advent, there were signs. But no one knew the actual day and time when he would come. So what did the Israelites do as they wait for the Messiah? One Israelite from Luke 2, as you remember, the prophetess Anna, spent her entire life going up to the temple day and night, 
worshiping and fasting. And she did this for eight years or so. And the point there is not that you have to be fasting and in church 24-7 to wait for Christ's return. But the point is this. Anna went about the daily business of believing in God. Then one day, as she entered the temple, doing what she always did, there he was. Her God in the form of a baby. Now, it was not at a time that she expected, but she was not taken by surprise either. She was not caught unaware. She rejoiced. Christ found her faithful and she was ready to receive him. And being ready for Christ's return is to trust in him and to believe that he will be here soon. Now, does that mean you should not care about your life at all on earth? Well, no. The exact opposite. If you've ever boiled water, you know that if you stare at the water waiting for it to boil, it's like it's never going to boil. <laughs> it takes ages. But if you keep doing other things while the water boils, soon enough the water will be ready. Jesus does not want you preoccupied staring at the sky, hunkered down in your home just, just waiting. He wants you to put your faith in him and then live your life until he comes. And by putting your faith in him, his righteousness is given to you and it purifies your life and it purifies your work so that what you do is pleasing to him. What is your job? Let Christ come back to find you getting to work on time and doing what is required of you. Are you a student? Let Christ come back to find you doing your homework when you're supposed to. Are you married? Let Christ come back to find you loving and sacrificing for your spouse. Are you a parent? Let Christ come back to find you feeding, bathing, teaching, playing with your kids. We are Christ's people. Let him come back to find us singing, praying, Receiving communion, hearing his word preached and taught, sharing the gospel with family, friends, and enemies. And sometime very soon, perhaps while you're doing one of these things or something like them, Jesus is going to open the door and return to you. He will call you by name to himself, and you will be with him forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for sending Christ first to die for our sins. We look forward to his second coming when he will gather us to himself. Help us, we pray, as we wait, that we may put our trust wholly in Jesus Christ and that we will be eager to serve him all our days until his return. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.